0: Welcome to Episode 16 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This show was recorded Wednesday, April 25th, 2007. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is a combination of some of the best cycling podcasts and blogs on the Internet. Each show will bring together some of the most famous voices and writers in cycling for a lively discussion of the current cycling news. Check out our website at wwwthe hyphen Spokesmen.com. and now here are the spokesmen. welcome to episode 16 of the spokesman cycling roundtable podcast we are back and we have a full house today and I'm just going to go down my list as it's shown here on my screen uh, again I'm David Bernstein from the Fredcast cycling podcast second on my list here is Tim Grawl from the Crooked Cog Network good morning Tim good morning Next up on my list is Carlton Reed from BikeBiz.com and QuickRelease.TV. Hey, Carlton. Hi there. And as you can tell, there's a little bit of delay in Carlton's uh, internet connection today, but we will deal with that. After Carlton, Tim Jackson, the Mozzie guy. How's it going, Tim?
1: Not bad. Good morning,
0: guys. Good, good. And, you know, I mean, we we had to dust him off this morning, but he's back after a long hiatus. Larry Barker from Crank.com. Hey, Larry, how's it going? Good evening, good evening, good evening. How are you? Excellent, thank you. He says good evening because he's in Japan. <laughs> uh, the rest of us are here on the, uh, well, some of us are here on the west coast of the U.S. where it's still early. Uh, Tim Grawl, of course, on the east coast, and Carlton is way out there in Great Britain. Uh, guys, let's get started uh, with a topic that we are very familiar with, something that we have talked about, you know, to some of our listeners ad nauseum here on, on The the Spokesman, and that is Floyd Landis as We've, I think we talked about before, USADA, the United States Anti-Doping Agency, requested that some of Floyd's B samples be retested uh, in advance of the May 14th hearing in Floyd's case. Quite controversially, they decided to test these samples at the same French lab that really is at the, the heart of Floyd's defense. Floyd has said that, that the French lab mishandled his Samples that they didn't follow the proper procedures in testing, nevertheless, you saw to sent those samples back to that same lab once again, even though Floyd wanted them sent to ucla and Now l'équipe, the French newspaper, is once again leaking the results very, very shortly after they were tested, claiming that the results show that there was synthetic testosterone in those samples, and I think that that's really a very very bad sign for for floyd and for his defense now carlton you're really close to this you've been following this very very closely reporting on it a lot what do you think this all means for floyd
2: it's almost the same situation we've we've had throughout where the anti-doping agencies are gunning for him are using any and all methods to to change the rules in effect to to go get him. So that's no change. And, uh, my wife's the doctor. She's a hospital doctor. And I don't keep her up to speed with everything uh, that I'm doing on Floyd Landers. But I just gave her the bare bones of this really testing and all the different uh, sending it back to the same lab. And it's going to be the same technicians, probably all this. And she was staggered. At, uh, she gets blood tests done all the time. And this just doesn't, isn't how labs operate. It, it shouldn't be how labs operate. It certainly wouldn't uh, exist anywhere else, but this rarefied air of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of doping agencies, labs do not work this way, should not work this way. So Paul uh, Floyd is being uh, stitched up by the look of that. Now, one well, of let
0: the,
3: me, yeah, go ahead, Tim. Let me ask a, a dumb question for those of us that don't know. What are they doing that is so bad and stupid and what other hospitals or clinics would never do?
1: Go ahead, well, there's there's well, lots that, that, of that, questions about thing how is... they handled the samples themselves.
0: So say that again, Tim. You, you...
1: Sorry, I was I was going to say there's a lot of questions about how the lab has handled the samples themselves. That you know the first thing was that they were mislabeled, uh, potentially anyway. Uh, and there's question in the as as Carlson was pointing out the, the the obvious one right now is is why is the same lab conducting the same tests and quite possibly with the very same technicians. It, it, it defies common sense in these situations where if you're having a retest, it's not done by the same lab. It's done by a verifying lab, an independent verifying lab, so that you, you don't the have that- potential for mishandling.
2: Go ahead, Carlton. If, if, the machine, if the machines they're using, which are these carbon isotope machines, which are very accurate machines, if you calibrate them correctly, and at the heart of this case, uh, or, or one of the arguments is that there's very good evidence that these machines in this French lab are not calibrated correctly. So, of course, if you go back to the same lab, the same technicians, the same miscalibrated equipment potentially, you'll get the same results. This is, this is no huge surprise. Uh, the, the media, the mass media, has portrayed this as somehow, oh, it's normal to retest these things. This is highly, highly unusual. This is is, is without precedent. And they have had to get special dispensation from the, the hearing to do this. The, the hearing that starts on May the 14th. And the hearing, against all the odds, two against one, has okayed this. And it, it, it's a hornet's nest because now no athlete from this day forward can ever think, if he tests clean, he, she, she tests clean, they can keep on going back and back and back and back and back to test these things, uh, which is, is clearly not fair because the samples degrade over time or of different reasons but the precedent has now been set by this unbelievably crazy rule uh, that you can retest these things and it's just it's so awful and the mass media is not picking up on this because they don't realize how anti-doping agencies are meant to work this is very 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 strange way of doing it Carlton two things if you don't mind number one you said that
0: that the anti-doping agencies are, are out to get them and I think that that there there is some evidence in this case that there are folks that are out to get quote-unquote, Floyd in this case. But number one, I'm going to ask you two questions. Number one, do you really believe that USADA is out to get Floyd? And number
2: two, um, if you want to answer that one, go ahead, because it sounds like you do. He didn't, he didn't start. Oh, the USADA didn't start wanting to get anybody. Of course they didn't. The last thing they'd want is an American athlete testing positive at the Tour de France. Naturally, however, now that they they have uh, Floyd in their their sights, they're going to do absolutely everything to nail him. So justice goes out of the, the, the window here. They are going to uh, try everything to to and do very very unusual things to uh, make sure that the person they've got in their sights is is brought before them and is nailed.
0: Okay, so question number two then. You said that, that, that this sets a precedent that if somebody tests negative, that they're not ever going to feel confident that their samples won't be tested again. Don't you think that what this actually is is a precedent that says, if you test positive, that your samples could be tested again?
2: Yeah, well, these the samples that were tested were, were actually uh, came up negative the first time around. And uh, if, you, if you're if you going to test them again, okay. In this case, if it, if they think it's high-profile enough that they, they want to do that, even Floyd eventually agreed to it. But just do basic science here, guys. Send it to a different lab. Send it to a wada accredited uh, lab. Send it to the UCLA. And, and uh, make sure the protocols are in place so that nobody knows that these samples... Uh, who they are, and you make sure there are independent witnesses. One of the, 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 the points that Floyd has raised is his, uh, his experts weren't allowed in the same room as the the other experts. Uh, and they were testing, some of these like on the Sunday, they were testing samples when experts weren't there. Well, h- how on earth can anybody trust that process if two sets of experts are not there watching it? So, Tim
0: Grahl, I guess that the the bottom line simple answer to your question is it's a lot like wanting to get a second opinion if you get a, a bad diagnosis from a doctor. You want to get that second opinion that's uh, from, from an independent doctor who hasn't even seen the results from the original doctor so that you can find out whether or not that diagnosis was correct. And and at least in, in this one instance of this case, that's the big complaint from the Floyd Landis side. And then secondary to that is of course the fact as carlton was just saying that floyd had sent his own expert to witness the test being performed and then that expert wasn't allowed to to actually witness the test now the lab will say that the reason for that is is that the expert was supposed to be accompanied by usada representatives and those re- representatives didn't show up so uh, there's always two sides to the story but in a nutshell that really is what the floyd landis camp has to say about about this one instance, does that make which is does that make it a little yeah, bit more it efficient? may it makes sense,
3: um, but it, it also I agree with Carlton that everything I've read on it doesn't doesn't mention all of that. It just mentions more of the fact that he tested positive again.
0: Well, that's pretty typical of the media, don't you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. especially uh, Lake keep since they they seem to have this uncanny ability to get this information before the ink is even dry. You know I can, I, can I just say I wonder something I wonder if there's somebody <laughs> it it? at the lab who just calls them up immediately
2: right Carl, go ahead uh, well, uh, a couple of other points, but perhaps minor, but uh, perhaps not in in the in the long run here they keep um, leaks which which haven't been verified yet, uh, but they say several samples have been tested and they have got trace um, elements of synthetic testosterone. Well, all the scientists who I've been reading, who've been looking into this, you can't have several. You've got to have all of them or n- none of them. If several, well, what what one is going on here? Some the machines are clearly wrong. You've got to have all of them. It's the same samples, and um, the, the machines uh, sound as though they're, they're, not, they're not. This is almost excellent proof for the machines not being um, calibrated correctly. Well, we'll see if, if all of this comes up in,
0: in his hearing May 14th. I know that it will, and, and whether or not it's given the weight that it should be. Hey, Larry, I have a question for you, because obviously this is sure. big news in the United States. It's uh, There's no doubt that it's big news in Europe. Is this at all covered in the Japanese press?
4: Yeah, well, it's uh, that's a little bit of a hard one for me to, to answer, actually, because I don't follow the Japanese uh, news per se, uh, because I'm not really uh, – a. At that level, uh, to read and to to follow the language that closely, but um, again, I follow all Western news sources, so I'm in the same kind of boat as you guys. But uh, it does it does make a little bit of the news, but not so much as as obviously it's a little bit of a different story over here. You'll find some pretty strange things making it on the news, things that are local, <laughs> and, and you know they'll have a big story, and uh, some some guy will have some uh, uh, for instance, there was a, a situation, I won't blab on about, it, but just very small news from a local municipality that, that tends to make it on national news. And then you get things like this happening that don't even make it on. So they, they seem to really pick and choose their issues. But uh, no, not that I've seen at the moment, not, at least not, uh, not in Japan.
0: Interesting. Well, moving, moving on, but of course not too far away from this subject, uh, you probably uh, all heard that now Ivan Basso has been sidelined by the Discovery team he, Mm-hmm. Originally, there was there was a bit of controversy about them hiring him to begin In the with. First place, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tim Jackson, why don't you tell us about this issue?
1: Well, it it sounds like uh, Coni, the Italian uh, governing body, is uh, doing more uh, investigating and looking to have uh, Basso's blood tested there or or what is presumed to be Basso's blood. That, that's the the thing. It's bags of somebody's blood anyway. Um, allegedly, it's Basso, so they're going to be testing it to see if it is. And now there's rumor that, that Basso will uh, be submitting, or has been asked to submit a DNA sample so that they can compare the DNA to the DNA in the bag of blood. Um, so since this is being drug out again, he's been asked by Discovery uh, not to compete, um, and prior to, at least the prior press release was that to avoid any, uh, conflict and confrontation with ASO and the two big races that they're putting on this week, Liège, Bastogne-Liège, and, uh, geez, that other one whose name I can't remember now, (laughs) um, uh, I can't believe that, what a race nerd, oh, God, um, Anyway, he won't be competing in those two races. Uh, Flesh own, there we go, and Liege Bestel-Liege. Um, he won't be competing in those, and that was allegedly originally um, stated just to keep from butting heads with ASO, since that's their policy, is anyone who is under investigation cannot compete in their events. And then on the heels of that comes the announcement from uh, Discovery that they've asked him not to ride at all. So you know, that that obviously looks suspicious to most people and maybe it is maybe it isn't who knows um but it just puts another high-profile rider directly under the microscope again
0: and again just for clarity these bags of blood were from the operation Puerto. operation puerto yeah Yeah,
1: sorry yeah
0: so uh you know that i i think the effects of that investigation are going to be going on for quite some time and i don't think that basso is going to be the only rider in this situation over the next month few months and years
1: yeah, I think it was probably here on this very podcast that when uh, it was said that uh, Operation Puerto was being shelved, I, th- I think uh, we pretty much all agreed it was far from over. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah, no doubt. We can oh, say we were right. That's right. Well, let, let's move away from doping here, if you don't mind, and, and uh, <laughs> please,
0: I'm tired of talking about it. Please, dear, dear it, Lord. Man. I know Tim Grall's tired of talking about it. So <laughs> Let's go to something that uh, is, is a little bit more fun and. Tim Grawl, Tim Jackson, you guys headed up to uh, Sea Otter in Northern California uh, about a week or so ago. And for those of you who who don't know about Sea Otter, you're about to hear about it. But Sea Otter has become one of the most popular events uh, of the early season here in the United States. And it's been around for quite some time. And I'd love to hear, number one, why it is that it's become so popular, and and number two, a little bit more about it. So, Tim Grawl, you were there. Tell us about the, the event.
3: Well, um, this was my first year at the event. I think it was also Tim. It was your first year too, right? That is correct. Yeah. So um, but, but we're not. My I'm, parent company's been going for the, like the past ten. Okay. Well, you can you maybe can speak better to uh, why it's gotten so big. But from my understanding and talking to people, it's uh, it's kind of be, become the kickoff to the mountain bike season because uh, there is so many high profile races and racers there, and then. From there, uh, I think the expo has kind of grown. The expo part, with companies bringing in their products and showcasing them, has kind of grown slowly over the years. As it's you know almost exactly halfway through the year from Interbike, so a lot of companies that either didn't have their stuff ready at Interbike or don't want to wait till this year's Interbike will bring their products and release them there, which will. Which has then in turn brought more media on site, which then in turns bring more um, exhibitors on site, and it's kind of flowing that way. So I think that's kind of why it's gotten to be so big. Is it's just um, it's kind of naturally through grassroots become the kickoff to the to the season.
0: So, uh, but it's it's not just a yeah, trade show. Oh, what, tell, no, tell us about the event.
1: Um, Tim, why don't you tell Box us of about cool the event? racing? Oh man. Yeah. yeah. It, one of the things that's, that's helped to, to grow Sea Otter and its popularity is just the amazing culture that has grown around the event itself, the actual racing, the community of people who show up every year to go through God only knows what kind of weather they're going to get. It could be sunny and beautiful as it was a couple of days this week, this, this year's event, or it could be uh, really, really cold and pouring rain sideways with 70 mile an hour crosswinds, <laughs> which it was also during this year's event. Uh, which was better than last year 's event, where it rained pretty much the entire time um, the the community of racers who have gone around the event have given it so much support and it 's just uh, it's it 's become such a great gathering just around that, even if you take out the pro races, the amateur races have grown even bigger as far as number of participants so it 's uh it's testament to the race organizers putting on a good event, and also to uh, the the strength of the community that has grown around it. I mean, it, it's it's gone from a simple couple days of mountain bike racing to uh, several mountain bike races, including single speed and downhill and dual slalom and all of that. To this year they added BMX. Uh, there's been the road race. This year it was only a two day race. Um, but in the past, they've had, uh, a, a crit in downtown Monterey, which was just a huge spectator event. Uh, and several years ago, they even tried to incorporate track racing through the, uh, track race at through the, the Velodrome in San Jose. Granted, it was a little bit of a drive, but, uh, they lumped it in with family. So it's, it's been the inclusiveness of Sea Otter that's, that's helped to, to grow it, as well as the fact that, yeah, the expo has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more. Companies are showing up so they can show off their latest shiny doodad, um, whether it's something that they just pulled out of the oven and their skunk works, and you can't you know touch it because the glue's still hot or whether it's you know their their latest piece that's fully ready to go
0: so what were some of the the the, the neat new uh new products that you guys saw
1: there, if any? Well, Tim would get to talk more about that just because he got to wander. I, I was kind of chain-linked to mine, my booth. Well, Tim. Um, my
3: my favorite thing I saw was the new bikes from Swobo um, that Sky Yager built fantastic. for them. Yeah, yeah. 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 and uh, they they had uh, all three designs there of showing them off for, I think, the first time, really. And so they had uh, – those were fun. I got to ride one of them around, and I talked to both Tim Parr and Sky a while ago a while about what they're trying to do with those. So um I think it's pretty exciting. They I mean yeah. there's very little graphics on them. Even they have no a graphics. Swobo it's Well they have effect. it. Yeah, it's just it's the it's the badge. It's a Swobo yeah. badge on the the top tube and then on the front. And then other than that, there's basically no graphics even on the rims. Uh they were able to get their rims done with no graphics on them. So
4: mm-hmm.
3: um I think that was really neat. Um, I was also at the Trek Fisher product launch the two days before Sea Otter, and what's interesting is that Trek is releasing a a full line of their 69er bikes, which is the 29 inch front wheel, 26 inch rear wheel, and um, I'm I don't know we're we're still pretty skeptical about how they're going to sell uh, the they're basically Travis Brown's bike. I mean he he yeah. built it and designed it and racism and yeah, he um, flew were, by me on one day out there yeah, yeah he's fast <laughs> but yeah, he um is skinny granola year. But, <laughs> <laughs> but so they had the single speed last year and they're just actually now shipping them out over the last month or so uh, but then they announced they're releasing full line full suspension gear and everything so uh that was pretty interesting i'll be interested to see how that does
0: hey tim did um, you have a chance I, to ride one
3: yeah i rode one uh well i've ridden a carver which is another brand that's the same the same hybrid idea and then i uh that was a, a few months ago and then i did ride the uh trek 69er single speed one day and i mean it's a lot of fun it's um I don't know. I don't really know how much everybody wants to get into the debate between two niners and two sixers, but I mean, you do have some of the upgrades of the front wheel where it's easier to roll over things and, um, better traction and, mo and, um, cornering and that kind of thing. But at the same time, um, I can tell that I'm working harder to maintain my speed and momentum and that kind of thing too. So, um, I can see, I can see the, reasons for a single speed because the acceleration on climbs is nicer um, because uh, on a 29er it is harder to get that big wheel uh, rotating around but um, I don't know I don't know how well the geared and um, geared and full suspension models are gonna sell but trucks claiming that 85% of their first um, run of the of the 69er have already been sto- sold to stores so I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I probably, m- me myself, I wouldn't invest in one. But you know, you never know what's going to happen. Wow!
0: There goes the marketplace. Tim Grall said he wouldn't invest in one.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah, to listens it. to me. Let me tell
1: you. <laughs> I, have throw uh, I want to hear
2: about. I, I want to hear it. about Tim's. Tim
1: Travis it. Brown is a nice guy. Granola <laughs> eater or not, he's a nice guy. Carlton,
0: what do you want to? Oh, hear? yeah.
2: About? Sorry, I, I want to hear about Tim's experience on a road bike. Yeah, Tim. Oh, you're, well, you're
0: on a road bike. Aren't you?
2: <laughs> we're we're out well, of the show.
3: I was and What uh, kind of road bike was it, Tim? Golly. A, I believe it was a Trek, wasn't it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say the brand. <laughs> no, it was it was a Mozzie. I was on a Mozzie. And
1: um, yeah, I just fairness, I just she was actually on a Mozzie cross bike, so it was a road true. bike with knobby tires, so he felt more at home. Right. And I basically just rode it around the
3: uh, expo center a couple times. So uh I mean it, But he had you know. women chasing him all over the place. Right. They saw the Mozzie brand and they were just stopping mm-hmm. it to ask me questions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Are you the Mozzie guy? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So all yeah, so, that the other way. Yeah. To me too. <laughs> so
0: so uh all in all, a good event, something you guys would, would, would recommend that the people go to in, in years to come? Absolutely.
3: Oh, absolutely. From a from yeah. a
1: spectator standpoint, from a bike nerd standpoint, you you betcha. Um,
3: yeah, and the and the the way they had the they, I mean, they just thought ahead on the way. I was impressed with how easy it was to watch all the races. I mean, there are plenty of places to to spectate where um, where you could basically stand in one spot and see the downhill and part of the cross country course and the you know and
1: and the road of, course uh, and yeah. the MX course.
3: So it was, I and mean, it was the really spectator-friendly. Yeah. There wasn't yeah. a ton of walking that had to be done around to uh, to see everything. So it wasn't this huge, sprawled-out event where, like, I've been to events like at um, at Snowshoe, which is close to me, and it's just I feel like all I do is walk all day to get to the different things. So um, it felt good that uh, I thought it was just very spectator-friendly, so I can understand why it's, that has helped it become more popular as well.
0: Well, something that we talked about here on the show once before, was the fact that Eurobike was originally talking about having, excuse me, about having their um, interbike competitor in Portland, and then they sort of pulled out of that and decided that instead that they would align themselves with Sea Otter. Did you notice any difference with the fact that that they were involved?
1: Oh yeah, the uh, booth rates doubled, so that was (laughs) was good. And they were charging uh, people admission to get in to watch races, which in the US, I can't imagine they do it anywhere frankly, but in the US this ain't NASCAR people. So uh, I, I thought that was kind of uh, bizarre that we're actually charging people to come watch a bike race. Presumably it's so they get to come in and look at all the, the latest doodads from the exhibitors. And so you know I guess there's a value to that. Um, you know, I, As I posted on the, the uh, Kool-Aid site, the bicycle marketing watch uh, I just I took a little bit of, of of a skeptical well cynical view of that relationship. Uh it just seems like Eurobike stamping their name on it didn't do anything other than cost you a whole lot more. There was, well, and how much how much traffic. did they even stamp their name on it? Because
3: exactly. I Exactly. I barely saw that. I didn't realize I had forgotten that they were involved until mm-hmm. the third day I was there, and I was exactly. talking to the media relations lady, and she mentioned that Eurobike was involved, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about that." So
4: yeah.
3: it's yeah. weird that they didn't even push that they were involved. Like nobody, I guarantee you, the majority of people that came with that thing didn't realize that Eurobike was even involved. Absolutely. So I don't really see Only what exhibitors they were. knew.
1: Only the exhibitors knew that Eurobike was involved because their rates went up so much. And I'm, I'm not. I'm not. It's unfair for me to characterize that as being solely the responsibility of Eurobike. The the race promoter may or may not have had some uh, involvement with that to begin with. But it it didn't it didn't create the best initial footprint for them in the U.S. market of trying to establish their brand over here. And as I mentioned on on my post, is that at least at Interbike every year, someone from Interbike. Comes by the booth, shakes your hand, maybe apologizes for the fact that uh, when your stuff was being brought into the exhibit that it got dropped and something was broken or goes, yeah, I know this is kind of expensive, isn't it? Hopefully traffic will be better this year than it was last year. Shakes your hand and you have that personal interaction with Eurobike and Sea Otter. We didn't get anything like that. And Haro, my parent company, has been going there for like 10 years and nothing. Hmm. nothing. We didn't even know. That uh, they were doing show dailies, so that we could have advertised the fact that we were doing demo rides or given away frames we we didn 't know that that even existed, so I, it just seemed like it was not put together very well and that that was my whole point in, in my post was that if Eurobike is really trying to establish their brand here, then they they kind of drop the ball, which is unfortunate because. Over, over in Europe, the brand is very strong, and and I don't think anybody argues that Eurobyte's a heck of an event. But if they're trying to establish the same sort of credibility and strength in the U.S. market, they're they're way off the mark so far.
0: Well, not, they're they're a huge event in in Europe, Carlton. Did you just post on your on one of your sites that they're using now a, a huge Zeppelin hangar for the show? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, the the Friedrichshafen Airport is right next to where the the show takes place and Friedrichshafen is the home of the Zeppelin, uh, which was uh, bombing uh, the UK in, uh, in the First World War. Then they all died off, uh, the, the Zeppelins, and then they've, they've come back again, and there's this huge hangar uh, which houses the Zeppelins, so I guess the Zeppelins are going to be put out to seed for the, the duration of the show, and the show moves in. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'll, like, I'll get to see those.
1: I may be there this year.
0: Oh, that's excellent. No, I, I, uh,
2: I, don't, I really don't get the
0: whole Eurobike connection. I think we, we all said that back when this was announced. No. Uh, we'll see what happens next year and whether or not it, it changes or gets better or, or, or whether they, they come back and decide they want to go to Portland again. And if so, hopefully their rates will be more in line with what we're
2: used to, perhaps. Uh, Maybe they should bring a Zeppelin across. <laughs> just fly just a Zeppelin. Zeppelin.
1: Well, I don't know about bringing. That was a bad joke, and no one got it. Well, nobody heard you—that was the problem. (laughs) Oh, okay. I was going to say only (laughs) if it's a Led Zeppelin. I'm with you on that. Oh God! Oh my (laughs) God!
2: (laughs) Hey, come on! Someone's never brought the cheesy jokes, and I'm all about the cheesy jokes. You people know that. That's terrible. We've never ever made a Pink Floyd reference on Floyd Landis. How come? (laughs) Where's his You know? Because he's a Yellow Floyd. Now listen. (laughs) Now
0: listen. If Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd are at, are at, at Eurobike, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving uh, moving along to to other 1970s uh, uh, member the little 500 just occurred everybody remember the little 500 from breaking away that movie with some bicycle that we can't talk about on the show sure uh, we can it's Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> you remember that Dave Stoller was a member of the cutters team and this year's little 500 what? was won by the cutters it was their eighth Little 500 Championship, and their first since 2004. I don't think that needs a whole lot of discussion. I just thought you guys might be interested to know that.
1: Cool. It's yeah. a beautiful day in the world. Exactly. Awesome.
0: Hey, Carlton, something that you mentioned on your, on your blog and, and, and on quickrelease.tv, and, and I had to bring it up because I just thought it was so silly. Um, you, 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 you showed this video of
2: this device that allows your bicycle to sound like a Harley Davidson. Could you tell us about that? Or a horse or a steam train, or anything that you, you can record and, and, and put in. So I said a farting dog or a laughing policeman, you could do all these things. It's, it's a guy who has, uh, why, I do not know, but he has invented this device. I had to check and double check because I was laughing so much. I had to work out, is this a, a late April fool? Is this, no, it's it's for real. The guy developed it because he, he's a, a driver of uh, high cars which are quiet Mm -hmm. so he developed this thing to make hybrid cars sound like a real car okay it's it's funny already isn't it and uh, he thought well if it works for hybrid cars it works for bicycles so watch the video you can make your bicycle sound like a crappy harley or a a throaty horse or a steam train it's just that's not what cycling's about is it You, you 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 kind of want the quiet but he says it's for safety I just think motorists are going to knock into you, laughing.
3: Yes. Okay. When you when you said throaty horse or <laughs> something like that, it, it cut out right on the the s part, so it sounded like you said a throaty whore.
1: <laughs> That's a different sound altogether.
0: People. There goes our G rating. Thank, thank you.
2: Uh, sorry, David. You're always trying to keep it clean. Somehow. Somehow. I'm. I'm. Go- I'm going to go back and edit my copy. That's far better than what I wrote.
4: Yeah. <laughs> so, I,
2: I, Tim Jackson pointed out before the show, what
0: was
1: wrong with, with, with playing cards in the spokes? Yeah, exactly. What, whatever went bad with that? And, and what I thought was hilarious is that there is a company that makes plastic playing cards or just plastic cards so that you can get a better sound. And there's another company. I think Carlton, I've actually seen it advertised in, uh, in Bike Biz. That makes what looks like a tailpipe that amplifies yep. the sound of the traditional plastic playing card, um, mm-hmm. so you can do that as well, uh, without having to have your cell phone turned on and, and burning up all your minutes. So you can sound like a horse or a thirty whore, whichever. <laughs> and you know, it's just it's kind of crazy. And and then. Before the show, Ed, you know, we were kind of going back and forth laughing about this and talking about what about the just the good old days of when you could ride with a, a, a DT Hoogie hub that made enough noise that you would go deaf within a, you know, this matter of a single hundred mile ride. Uh, well, it's you know, true. Those, those you know, I, things I, were great.
0: I spent I all, spent all, last, all week last week with. Um hundred or so fifth graders and their parents riding across California, and I was on my mountain bike, which has uh, a set of AC hubs from back in the day when, when the Hoogie hubs made, made all that noise, and so did my AC hubs. And I'd get behind somebody, and they'd say, oh, it's David again, because, you know, I'd coast, and they'd hear it, and somebody would say, are you know are you catching fish? Because it mm-hmm. just sounds like a, a, like a, a fishing reel. Sounds like wheel. a fishing reel. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I think there's a lot of other ways to uh, enhance safety without…
1: Exactly. An expensive $300 rear hub will do the job. <laughs> exactly.
0: And then, of course, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll fall for it again. My comment on this was, uh, you know, somebody has way too much time and technology on their hands. Hmm. Who
1: wants to be the one to say it?
0: <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you very much for not saying it.
0: Let's move on. One last thing, your favorite your favorite segment of the week, whenever we do this. I've given you plenty of time. It's time once again for your cycling tip of the week. Awesome. <sighs> My
1: connection's just cut out. <laughs> no. I, can't, I sounds, can't hear anybody. You sound clearer than ever, Carlton. Huh. I, I can't hear you. What are you saying?
2: <laughs>
1: so Carlton, what's your cycling tip of the week?
2: You shouldn't, you shouldn't come to me for that. <laughs> <laughs> smarty. Uh smarty. When you're cycling in Israel <laughs> or maybe even deserts in California, it might work here do not fill your water bottles from the black irrigation pipes. You'll die. <laughs> okay, now you have to elaborate. Do you not have this in, in California uh, with all the groves? they they not watered by these little black irrigation pipes with water leaking out? It's like hydroponics. Go on. Oh, well, in Israel, they're all over the place. And uh, when when you're cycling there, you think, oh, great, water supply and you, you try and fill your water bottle up from this, and it's not just water. It's masses and masses of chemicals. So you just you mustn't touch this stuff. And I assume other places in the world must must have this as well. If you've, if you've got a slightly arid climate and you're growing oranges, then you've probably got these black pipes feeding yeah, water to the plants. But you-
0: Yeah, actually, what we've got, uh, and, and I certainly saw plenty of this last week as we rode across the state, we've got uh, large irrigation uh, canals and channels and i don't even think you'd you'd ever presume that that was safe to drink because you just look at it and you can tell that there's a lot of chemistry in that water but you know yeah. what some people you never know so that that actually may be a a, a very worthwhile tip carlton thank you all right
1: all right tim jackson oh god <laughs> oh jeez, cycling tip of the week uh no uh let's see Uh, I had a good one. Uh, What I usually do uh, once a week or so or try to do once a week or so is to fill my water bottles, the ones that I've been using during the week, uh, just to keep them from getting too grody, is to fill them partly like about a quarter of the way with water and then the rest, not the rest of the way, but then give several squeezes of a lemon in there with some lemon juice. To uh, sort of change the chemistry that might be going on inside your water bottle as well, give them a good shake and and uh, you know let them sit for a day or two and then rinse them out and they're good to go and then you don't have that that weird plastic taste that eventually builds up. Well, that's excellent. And that's that's as good as I've got this week. Oh, wow, that's a, that's a great one, Larry.
4: I I, I think I said enough already uh, during the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This is your chance to shine. <laughs> well, you know, it, uh, this whole thing—it's it, it, really, especially over the last two weeks, has kind of, kind of been gritting on me a little bit. But um, I think all tall cyclists everywhere need to join force, forces and boycott the cycling uh, manufacturers to start to produce more frames that suit uh, anyone over six feet tall. And this whole thing, I mean, I hear i hear people like Tim talk about these bikes like Swobo and, you know, Fixies. And I'm looking for a larger size Fixie. And they go, hey, great, these things, go check out the website, check it out. And, then, you know, the largest size they got is like a 60 centimeter. And uh, it's kind of frustrating. And you, you look at all the other ones, I'm pretty much stuck at looking at Trek. You know, or uh, Cannondale. And uh, yeah, I guess Fuji has got a few large frames up around 64 centimeters. But um, yeah, everyone, and, and even the, the brand we can't talk about, I think only goes up to uh, about 61, I think. So, yeah, it's uh, got a it's fairly a long
1: top tube on it. Is it? We is can it, talk, is <laughs> it Larry. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Billy, you can buy a Mozzie. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, no, because, you can't okay. say the brand.
4: <laughs> I did notice I can that. Say uh, it. That Mr. Jackson had a uh, post of uh, one of their fixies on on his blog. Are, are you a fairly mm-hmm. tall, guy, Tim? Six two and a
1: half. Six two and a
4: half. Oh, well, that might mm-hmm. be all right.
0: Yeah, check out the picture okay. of uh, Tim and, and and Carlton from uh, from <laughs> yeah, Taiwan. well,
4: that's that's where I got it from. I you'd, I heard you'd be amazed he had, how tall Carlton
1: is. <laughs> <laughs> Carlton's statuesque. <laughs>
0: so so not so much a tip, yeah. Larry, more of a rant.
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Guess. yeah you got me on that one. That's
2: all right. We'll accept. <laughs> can we? Can we have a, a a fortnightly rant then? Let's let's forget the tips and let's just ah. um, Yeah, we can have weekly tips and weekly rants. Well,
0: that's that we can we can do that. That's next That week. might be pretty entertaining. Actually, yeah. <laughs> Pre- prepare your rants for for the next show. But in the meantime, Tim Grawl, what's your tip of the week? <laughs>
3: um. My tip is for commuters and in April and September uh, especially, but also other times of the year when the sun is setting, uh, be careful of when you're riding home from work that uh, it's not directly on your back with oncoming traffic or directly uh, in your face if you're riding with traffic because then cars can't see you. So uh, try to take some side roads or um, I'll, I'll change your route up a little bit so that
0: uh, you, uh, you can be seen by drivers on the road. Okay, not a bad tip. And for me, last week, as, as I've mentioned a couple of times, uh, it was actually my first attempt at, at cycle touring and we had a great time, but one of the things that I learned that, and I should have learned this as a Boy Scout when they told us be prepared. We took off on on the second day from a beautiful desert location. The sun was shining, the sky was blue. it looked like an amazing day, and about two hours later, the skies opened up and We were completely unprepared for the rain. We were completely unprepared for the cold uh, there's pictures on my website of of my daughter and I wearing you know trash bag ponchos because we had to improvise Sounds and, like and, and and if 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 there was one tip that I would give anybody who's doing any cycle touring that is. Be prepared, not only with hydration and nutrition, but be prepared with your clothing. Because you may leave in the morning in shorts and a jersey and be totally warm, but by the afternoon you might need the rain gear, you might need the arm warmers and the leg warmers. So be prepared with your clothing just as you are with your hydration and your nutrition. So that's my tip and probably something Carlton learned in all of his cycling touring a long time ago. So, with that, I think that's probably going to do it for the show for this week. I think we've had a a pretty busy day, and I'll start at the bottom of the list today uh, and uh, let everybody know who you are and how they can reach you and and what sorts of websites and podcasts and things like that you have, starting with Larry at the bottom of the list.
4: Well, you can reach me at podcast.crank.com, and uh, hopefully one will maybe release in uh, the next uh, little while now that I'm on holiday. But, uh, yeah, so podcast at crank.com, and uh, check it out, and uh, submit cycling news, and so forth.
0: And that's C-R-A-N-K-K K. dot com, a la D-I-G-G. Tim
1: Jackson. Oh, that's me. Um, they can find me at uh, Mozzie Bikes. They can find me at Mozzie Guy. They can find me at uh, Shut Up and Drink the Kool-Aid. Um, so I'm, I'm all over the place. Uh, so, yeah. And if they want to email you?
2: Oh, yeah. G Jackson at mozzybikes.com
1: Excellent
2: Carlton Reed It's Carlton Reed at mac.com for the email Uh, bikebiz.com is my trade and public news site I also do bikeforall.net for the UK government and the bike trade in the UK which is like an advocacy site and uh, also TV, where my podcasts are actually back online again on iTunes
0: Excellent Woohoo Real good. Tim Graw?
3: You can find me at crookedcog.com or send me an email to tim at crookedcog.com and to hear the podcast. And so I can say Crooked Cog again, it's crookedcogpodcast.com. You're the John C.
0: Dvorak of our show. Oh, you don't know the what? what? Po- oh, see? Sorry. Now he's
1: got another one. <laughs> I have to look that one
0: up too. That's uh, podcasting humor. I apologize for that. <laughs> I'm David Bernstein from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. And, of course, you can email me anytime Anytime. at thefredcast at gmail.com. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Very much appreciated. We certainly had a full house. Uh, We'll be back in about two weeks with another edition of The Spokesman. Thank you to all of the listeners for listening and for staying subscribed. Please tell your friends about the show. We enjoy doing it. We hope you enjoy hearing it. Between now and the next show, get out there and ride. Oh, by the way, is somebody else recording this too? (laughs) Uh, I can. Please do. Tell me when you're ready.
1: All right, I'm ready. Cool. (laughs) What took you so long? God, Grawl, don't be such an underachiever Sorry
3: I have that on tape now That's going to make it into a
1: future uh, podcast episode
0: It's going to go in the outtakes at the end of the
1: show today I do have a picture of Grawl on a road bike, too Just for the record Was he smiling? As a matter of fact, he
3: actually was I, but I had to stop him to ask him how to shift.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, I spent all last week on a mountain bike, Tim, so you know, turnabout's fair play.
3: Well, you probably didn't ha- have to ask
0: how to shift the bike, though. Uh, no, I, I remembered how to shift it.
3: I went all the way around the park and came back and I said, uh, I said, I have a dumb question. I don't know how to shift.
1: <laughs> yeah, he'd never used STI shifters. <laughs> Okay, everybody ready? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh.